And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to a Christmas episode of The Great Gildersleeve from 1949. Then it's the story of Silent Night on the Hallmark Playhouse from 1948. With me is my executive producer, Mike Costella. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Maybe Lisa's listening to the show in Florida. Maybe. Yeah, she's probably getting a tan yeah. while we're freezing <laughs> here in Chicago. Uh, all right, well, last time we began listening to The Great Gildersleeve, and I love the Great Gildersleeve. But my crabby brother Vince does not like this series. I, I realize know. this. He doesn't want... Whenever we play Gildersleeve, he turns the radio off. I don't know why. <laughs> we uh, we began listening to a Christmas show last time from December 21st, 1949. Hal Perry now in the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve. Well, fine-looking group. All in tuxedos. surprise I have for Marjorie tonight. What do you think of this? Oh, what a gorgeous ring. I beg your pardon. Oh, excuse me, please. Oh, the judge, late again. Well, Gildy. Good evening, Miss Milford. Good evening, Judge Milford. Sit down, Judge. You're interrupting something important. I am? Oh, are you presenting your lady fair with a ring? Oh, for... Judge, please. This is Throckmorton's gift to Marjorie. It is. Uh, Horace, why don't you drop over after the concert? 
Watch Marjorie's eyes light up when she sees this, huh? Thank you, Gilda. I'll be happy to. Here, the peavies are coming over. Shh. They're about to sing again, Brockmore. Yeah. I'd invite all the craft singers, too, but I'm afraid Bertie might run out of cheese and crackers. Rock <laughs> Martin, hi. Huh? Oh, yeah. Very nice, Judge. Wait till we get over to our house. Marjorie starts opening her presents. Oh, brother, I can hardly wait. have just come home from the Christmas Eve concert, and it's getting close to the big moment the great Gildersleeve has been waiting for. <laughs> Marjorie, you and Catherine come over by the fire. Bronco, why don't you throw another log on? What? Oh, sure, Mr. Gildersleeve. Bronco, that's the footstool. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve. I don't know what I was thinking about. He's excited tonight, Unky. <laughs> <laughs> What's everybody so excited about? It's Christmas Eve, huh? Let's light the tree and open the packages. Well, better light the tree, I guess. Where's that plug? Yeah. Get ready, everybody. Here go the lights. Oh, uh, it's perfectly beautiful, Throckmorton. Yeah, that's quite a tree. Isn't it wonderful? Very effective with all those lights bubbling. Well, I'm sort of a bubbly fellow, too, around Christmas time. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be? Got a lot of good friends and a wonderful little family. You certainly have, Throckmorton. Yes, sir. I've raised two fine children, and they mean all the world to me. We go through this every year, Miss Milford. <laughs> well, I mean it. I appreciate you more and more every year. We appreciate you, too, Unc. Now let's open the presents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's open the presents. My surprise to you comes last, Unky. Uh, well, I have a surprise for you, too, Marjorie. But wait a minute. We can't open presents till the others get here. What others? You mean you're expecting somebody else, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I invited Judge Hooker and the Peavies. But, Uncle Mort, we thought it was just to be the family and Miss Milford. Yeah, that's what we thought, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, Marjorie, I sort of wanted the judge and the Peavies to see what I have for you. Yeah, what's wrong with having them over at Christmas? They always bring presents. Uh. <laughs> Leroy is being very practical about this. Thing. Yeah, Christmas to Leroy is like bank night. Yeah. <laughs> Bronco, let's bring some more chairs into the dining room, huh? Say, where's Bronco? Did he fall in the fireplace? I think he went in your den, Unky. Oh? Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes, Bronco? May I see you for a minute? Certainly. 
Excuse me, everybody. Take the holes with bows and holly. Do you mind if we close the door, Mr. Gildersleeve? Close the door? Is it that secret? Well, it's about the surprise Marjorie was telling you about. Well, don't tell me now, Bronco. I want to wait for it. I think I should tell you, Mr. Gildersleeve, before the others come. Huh? What difference does that make? Well, we planned this for just you and the family. Marjorie and I were going to stand up by the tree hand in hand and give you your surprise. Cute, cute. I, I was going to make the speech. You? A speech? Yes, sir. I was going to tell you that Marjorie and I want to be married. Married? <laughs> well, sure, maybe sometime, Bronco. Not sometime, Mr. Gildersleeve. This is definite. I'm asking you if I may marry Marjorie. Marry Marjorie? <laughs> Little Marjorie? So, this is her surprise, eh? I love her, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes. And Marjorie loves me. That's pretty important. Yeah, I guess it is. We've been thinking about it for a long time. I guess it's sort of sudden to you, but... Well, what do you think, Mr. Gildersleeve? We aren't going to do anything hasty, sir. We weren't even planning it until spring. Late spring. <laughs> June, maybe? <laughs> That's long enough to wait. Don't you think so, Mr. Gildersleeve? I, I've never thought about it at all. Well, you'll probably get used to the idea of not having Marge around by then. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I've been saving my money. In fact, Marge and I aren't giving each other much for Christmas. We're looking ahead. I want to be able to take good care of Marjorie, Mr. Gildersleeve. Of course, we wouldn't do anything without your permission. So, what do you think, Mr. Gildersleeve? Bronco, I think the other guests have arrived by now. You tell them I'll be out in a minute. Of course, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'll tell them. Little March. Can't believe it. Just can't imagine this house without her. Couldn't bear to go into her little room again. Where I used to tuck her in, read her bedtime stories, care for her when she had measles, chicken pox. I've worked and sacrificed to raise Marjorie. Now and she means the most to me. Somebody wants to take her away. That boy has his nerve. Who does he think he is? Who is it? It's Catherine Throckmorton. Oh. Judge Hooker and the Peavies are outside. Don't you think you should join the party? Well, I have some thinking to do. Catherine? Yes? Bronco and Marjorie want to get married. Oh, I suspect it's something like that. Isn't it wonderful? What's so wonderful about it? Why, Throckmorton. I should think you'd be very proud and happy. Happy? How would you feel if your Christmas surprise meant losing your daughter? Well, I suppose I'm thinking more about Marjorie's happiness and Bronco's. How radiant she looks tonight and what it will mean to them. 
Try to remember, Throckmorton, that a mother wants more than anything else to have her daughter marry a nice young man. Somebody who will be kind and good to her. Bronco will. My Marjorie. What are you going to do? I don't know. Give me a little time, Catherine. Anybody want more cocoa and popcorn balls? Oh, no, thank you, Bertie. Gosh, where's Unc? It's time to open the present. Now, Leroy, let's not be impatient. Unc has a present under the tree for you, Judge. He has? Where is Gildy? <laughs> of course, when he comes out, he ought to stand, start handing out to the little kids first. Well, they say age before beauty, Leroy. Perhaps Peavy should receive his present first. He's the oldest man here. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Marjorie, while we're waiting for the Lord of the Manor, perhaps you'll play the piano for us. Oh, Judge, I couldn't. I'm too excited tonight. Well, here comes Mr. Gildy, please. I'm sorry if I kept everybody waiting. What have you been doing, Gildy? Hibernating in your den? <laughs> Come on, Uncle. I want to see what Santa Claus brought. Yes, it is time to pass out the presents, isn't it? Leroy, we'll start with you. Here you are, my boy. Oh, boy, thanks, Uncle. And, Bertie, here's a package with your name on it. Thank you, Mr. Gildy. Old Santa Claus never forgets Bertie. <laughs> now we come to Marjorie. I said I had a special surprise for her tonight. A number of years ago, my mother gave me her engagement ring. I guess she secretly hoped that someday I'd give it to a girl and start a little family. Well, I have a little family. A fine niece and nephew. But I haven't been very lucky on the other score. <laughs> and so this Christmas... I thought I'd present my mother's ring to Marjorie. Oh, Anki. Splendid idea. But something has happened tonight which forces me to change my plans. Instead of giving the ring to Marjorie, I want to give it to Bronco to give to Marjorie. Oh, oh Me, Mr. Gildersleeve? You want me to give it to her? Here, Bronco. Read the card. To Marjorie... For always, from Bronco. Bronco is joining our little family. Oh, Unky, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve, very much. We hadn't planned to have an engagement ring. I, I hope you'll be very happy, both of you. Let me shake your hand, my boy. Gosh, Unky. Marjorie leaving us? Well, let's not talk about that now, huh, my boy? And now, Mr. Harold Perry steps out of his role as the great Gildersleeve to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. We're glad that we had this opportunity to come into your homes and wish you all the joys and blessings of the holiday season. So it's a Merry Christmas to all of you from all of us. Walter Tetley. Leroy. Mary Lee Robb. Marjorie. Lillian Randolph. Bertie. Earl Ross. Judge Hooker. Kathy Lewis. Katie Milford. Dick Crenna. Bronco. And Dick Legrand. Mr. Peavy. Yeah. <laughs> 
And a Merry Christmas, too, from all the people behind the scenes. From Jack Meekin and the orchestra, writers Paul West, John Elliott, and Andy White. From Ray Ferguson and Monty Fraser, our engineer and sound effects artist. And from our producer-director, Fran Van Hardisfeld. And, of course, these holiday greetings come to you, too, from our sponsors, the Kraft Foods Company, their representative on this program announcer, Jay Stewart, the Kraft Coral Club, and the entire family of Kraft employees. Merry Christmas, everybody, and good night. Portions of tonight's broadcast were transcribed. Break the Bank, radio's biggest money-paying show, is next on NBC. And that's the Great Gildersleeve from December 21st, 1949. Good Christmas show starring Hal Perry. And in the cast, Kathy Lewis, Earl Ross, Richard Crenna, Lillian Randolph, Walter Tetley, and Richard Legrand. Sponsored by Kraft, as heard on NBC. Let's take a break. Then it's the Hallmark Playhouse Good Christmas show when we return. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Make sure you check out our website, Hollywood360radio.com. There is a podcast at that website. You can hear our show, the full four-hour show, every single week. It is one week behind of our broadcast week. But you'll always be able to check out all four hours of Hollywood 360 at our website, Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for the Hallmark Playhouse. This was a drama series that came to radio in 1948, lasted until 1953. British novelist James Hilton was the host. It was sponsored by Hallmark Greeting Cards. And well-known stories from literature with top Hollywood actors was dramatized. The director was D. Engelbach, and it was heard on CBS. We have a great Christmas story for you now called The Story of Silent Night. It is hosted by James Hilton, and it's from December 23, 1948. Here's part one of the Hallmark Playhouse. Remember, a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Mr. James Hilton in Hereta Powley's The Story of Silent Night on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark brings you outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, Mr. James Hilton. And now, it is Hallmark's pleasure to present the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we tell you the story of how that wonderful Christmas song, Silent Night, came to be written 130 years ago. This story was told recently to a writer named Hertha Pauli by the grandson of the man who wrote the music of Silent Night. Christmas, the year of our Lord, 1948. 1,948 years from the miracle of Bethlehem. Christmas, the birth date of the Prince of Peace. The birth date of hope and faith. The birth date of a miracle. In Bethlehem, three kings knelt and proffered gifts from the east. Since Bethlehem, many gifts, recorded and unrecorded, have been created of man's love of God and humbly offered in his honor. What you are to hear tonight will tell you of one such gift offered by two humble men 130 years ago this Christmas week. 
This, too, is the story of a miracle that was born one silent night. We are going back now through the arches of the years, back 130 Christmas Eves, to meet a man named Joseph Moore, Father Joseph Moore. Those voices you can just barely distinguish are all voices that have said Merry Christmas through the years. Their sentiment remains and lingers on the Christmas air like a blessing. And now we are in the Austrian Alps, in a small village. The year is 1818. In the center of the town, near a swift-flowing stream, stands a whitewashed church with a tall, red-topped steeple. There are the church bells. They have a special joyousness tonight, as all church bells seem to have on Christmas Eve. Come now, we'll meet Father Moore. He's in his study, and his heart's a little heavy, because the church organ has broken down, and there'll be no music for the Christmas service. Good evening, Father Moore. Oh, good evening. Uh, come in, come in. You don't know me, Father, but I'm in your parish. I've come from one of the charcoal makers' families. A child has been born to them tonight, and they beg that you come and bless the baby that it may live and prosper. Uh, have I time to go and return for my sermon? Yes, Father. Well, then I'll go at once. Let's break from the Hallmark Playhouse. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to the Hallmark Playhouse. And so it was that on Christmas Eve of the year 1818, Father Joseph Moore followed a woman up the rocky foothills of the Alps to a simple hut and blessed a baby on Christmas Eve. Seems like a miracle that her child should be born this night. Birth itself is a miracle. God has blessed her with a beautiful son on the most holy night of the year. And God has blessed me by guiding me here. Father Moore walked down the snowy mountain, transfixed, transfigured. He thought of the baby and of the sacred night, and words began to stir and form themselves within him. Holy night, silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child. Round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. How simple is the coming of a miracle to a stable in Bethlehem to the heart of a man. After Father Moore had solemnized the Mass, he sat all night in his study, writing down the words that filled his heart. And when dawn came, he took the poem he had written to Franz Gruber. Father, this is a fine poem. I, I rather heard it as a song, Franz. I thought you might set it to music. Thank you, Father. I should like to try. 
And so the words that Father Moore had heard on Christmas Eve became music to Franz Gruber on Christmas Day. And before nightfall, he came to Father Moore's house. I've uh, written the music, Father. I wrote it for guitar and voice rather than the organ. After all, we have no way of knowing when the organ can be used. Please sing it. Let me hear it. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly Austrian province lies a valley, the Zillertal, and from the Zillertal a few days after Christmas came the organ builder, Karl Maurer. Well now, furthermore, Mr. Gruber, I think I have the organ in working order now. The mice had eaten holes in the bellows, but this little patch should solve all your problems. May I try it? Well, go ahead. <laughs> song like it. Would you teach it to me? I know people would like to learn it down in the Zillertal. We'll be happy to teach it to you. Won't we, Franz? We will be honored. And so the hymn that was born on Christmas night started its journey out into the wide world. Karl Moraka took the song down into the Zillertal. Silent Night was on its way from a small church high in the Alps to the cathedrals of the earth. All the children in the Zillertal loved to sing and they all sang well. But of them all, the ones with the most beautiful voices were the four Strasser children, Caroline, Joseph, Andreas, and Amelie. And the organ builder worked painstakingly to teach them the song. On Christmas Eve, they stood in the doorway and sang it as a Christmas gift for their parents. So- Christmas gift. You sang that beautifully. I'm proud of you. The organ builder taught it to us. Thank you, Mr. Maraca. I, I hoped in the spring when Mr. Strasser takes the gloves to sell at the fair in Leipzig. 
that perhaps he would find a way for you to sing the song there. Sing? At the fair? We aren't good enough to do that. We could never do it. Why do you want them to sing the song there, Mr. Maraca? Well, to me, this song is almost like a song from heaven. The words came to Father Moore on Christmas Eve. The melody to the schoolmaster, Gruber, on Christmas Day. They gave it to their parish, and then it was given to me to carry down into the valley of the Zillatar. I, in turn, give it to you to take to Leipzig. Someone in Leipzig will take it on the next step of its journey. Where is it going? <laughs> Who knows, little Amelie? Perhaps everywhere. But who in Leipzig? I don't know that either. But someone will make him or herself known to you. And the song from heaven will go on across the earth. Will you take it to Leipzig and send it on its way? Oh, yes. Of course we will. you children? They are my children, sir. I'm Strasser from the Zillatal. This is my glove stand. We're here at the fair to sell chamois gloves. Your children have beautiful voices, Mr. Strasser. Yes. They sing every afternoon and the people stop to listen to them just as you saw today. And do they also buy the gloves? Yes, I think it helps business. In any case, it does not harm it. It was their song that caught my attention. The song, sir? Yes, I have never heard it before. My name is Polens. I am the Director General of Music in the Kingdom of Saxony. The Director General of Music? Yes. I wanted to ask you children if you would care to appear at a concert one of these days. A concert? Oh, that would be terrible. I'm afraid they aren't experienced enough, Mr. Polens. We must do it. We promised Mr. Morocco we've got to do it. It doesn't matter if we aren't good, as long as we sing it. We'll... we'll be happy to sing at a concert, Mr. Polens. Well... We may not be happy, but we'll do it. Good. Next Tuesday, then, at the Gavant House, there will be an orchestra concert. Perhaps at the close of the concert, you will honor us with this song. The king and queen will be there. The king and queen? Your majesty. Your highness. We are honored. Honored? Well, children, don't look at the floor. Look at us. We want to see your faces. I think they have a slight case of fright, Your Majesty. We don't want you to be afraid of us. We have children just about your age. Mr. Poland has told us you sing a wonderful song that you call a song from heaven. We're looking forward to hearing it. If we just didn't have to sing it before all those people. Now, some of them are the same people you sang it for at the fair. Uh, your Majesty, it's almost time for the concert to start. Uh, with your permission. Just close your eyes, children, and pretend you're singing at home. And the king and queen smiled and listened, and listening with them was the director of the Berlin Cathedral Choir. It was he who heard the song in Leipzig and took it on the next step of its journey to Berlin and the court of the emperor.
those voices are the men of the Berlin Cathedral Choir singing for the Emperor on Christmas Day. There's the Emperor in the royal pew singing with them. No, he stopped singing. Look at his face. He's glaring at that hymn book. What do you mean you don't know who wrote that song? Are you my concertmaster or are you not my concertmaster? Well, I, I am your concertmaster at the moment, sire. Well, look at this hymn book. Just look at this page. What does it say? Si Silent Night. And what else does it say? Author and composer unknown. I want to know who wrote that hymn. Concertmaster, you've spoiled my whole Christmas. The trees, the gifts, even the dinner. If a thing is unknown, I wish it made known. I want order in my hymn book. I want it as soon as possible. You'll we'll start out today in search of the name of the composer of Silent Night. Yes, sire. And so it was that Concertmaster Ludwig Erk started out to trace the origin of Silent Night. He went to big cities, he went to small villages. He talked to the young, to the old. Long, worrisome months kept pace beside him. And at last, even though he knew what he had to face in the anger of the king, he knew he had to give up. He sat alone and disconsolate in a small village inn near the Austrian border. Will there be anything else, sir? No, no, that'll be all. Oh, hush. You don't like the bird's song, sir? The bird? I, I thought it was my own mind. That's the song I've been hunting for. Who taught it to him? I don't know, sir. A traveler sold him to us. The man said he had bought the bird in Salzburg in St. Peter's Abbey. Salzburg? Well, then, I shall go to Salzburg. To Salzburg, to St. Peter's Abbey, which had been built a thousand years after the birth of Christ. Concertmaster Erk walked through a dark, pillared archway into a vaulted room and stood where Father Joseph Moore had stood so many times in the years gone by. Silent night? No, I have no recollection of it. How did you happen to come to us, sir? I heard a bullfinch sing the tune, Father. The innkeeper told me the bird came from this abbey. No, we, we don't allow any of our students to train songbirds here. Uh, we consider it a cruel practice to deprive God's creatures of their freedom. I see. Well, perhaps it was a mistake. Oh, come, it's late. Uh, have some dinner with us and then spend the night. Yes? Oh, you're hurting my ear. Well, what is this? Yeah, uh, come and Bruce's Prince the choir inspector here at the Abbey. And this is young Felix Gruber. Oh, my ear. I'm going to tell my father on you. I was told about your inquiries concerning the bullfinch. This young rascal trained him. You trained him? It didn't hurt the bird. Where did you learn that song that you taught him? The song? You heard the gentleman the song. My father wrote it. Your father? Yes, sir. Where is your father? In the village of Helene. Helene? Mr. Prenstein, do you think you could arrange for this boy to have a day or two off so I could go with him to Helene? Well, you'll have to talk to the abbot, but I'm sure it can be arranged. And now young Felix Gruber and Concertmaster Eyre are tucked in a fine sleigh behind a team of the Abbey's finest horses. The bells sing out gaily across the clean, crisp air, and the snow crunches under the horses' hooves. Now they are going through the pass above Helene, and now they are skinning down the main street to the market square before the church, and now they are pulling up before the small, friendly house which is the home of Franz Gruber. And so it was at last. Concertmaster Erk sat with the composer of Silent Night. 
Mr. Gruber, I bring you and Father Moore the compliments of the king and the whole country. Well, well. Father Moore is dead. God rest his soul these six years past. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yes. Yes, he was a fine man. Uh, do you have all six stanzas of the song? No, we have only four. Felix, hand me the guitar, please. Here, Father. Silent night, holy night, morning forth of the night of our Father's love and grace as Jesus So the words and the facts are taken down, and above the music will be the names Gruber and Moore. Concertmaster Irk walks out through the snow after dinner, and as he walks, he looks up at the snow-covered Alps that Father Moore loved. And Franz Gruber watches him from the window and wishes regretfully that Father Joseph Moore had been here to see his song brought back in triumph to the village of Halim. So you have journeyed back 130 Christmas Eves to meet a man named Father Joseph Moore and the schoolteacher, Franz Gruber, and Karl Mauracher, the organ builder, and the Strassers, and all the rest who had a part in carrying the song from a village high in the Alps down into the world. Yes, now it has bridged 130 Christmas Eves. Now it has been sung by the old and the young, the rich and the poor. It has been sung in every language, in every country of the world. It has become a prayer. A prayer that men can live together in one world as brothers, and that there be indeed peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You have heard the story of a miracle, a miracle that was born one silent night. Here again is James Hilton. The story of Silent Night and the music you have just heard has all the beauty and joy and happiness of Christmas. There's nothing anyone can add to it. But I would like to introduce the man who's responsible for the splendid music you've just heard. I know you'd like to meet him because so many of you have written us to praise his music. He's Lynn Murray, the musical director of the Hallmark Playhouse, whose work contributes so much to the success of our performances every week. Lynn, I personally want to thank you not only on my own behalf, but for all our Hallmark people everywhere for helping to make our playhouse musically outstanding. Thank you very much, Jimmy. You know, I enjoy working with you and all the rest of the people here. It's very satisfying to be with people who are always working toward perfection. But I suppose that's quite natural when you realize that our sponsors are the people who make Hallmark cards. You know, Jimmy, writing music for a dramatic presentation has a parallel in the making of greeting cards. 
In our work, we try to compose the exact music to fit the story that is being told, to underline every mood, character, and change of scene. And Hallmark greeting cards always seem to express the fitting sentiment for every occasion. And now, for all of us here in the Playhouse, for our director-producer, D. Engelbach, for Jean Holloway, who dramatized tonight's story, for the Hallmark dealers whom you see in your own cities, for everyone who is proudly a member of the Hallmark family, we wish you, our friends, a very, very Merry Christmas. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember Hallmark cards when you care enough to send the very best. This is Frank Goss saying good night to you all until next week at the same time when James Hilton returns to present Herbert Marshall in Lost Horizon and the following week, McLeod's Folly, starring Robert Young. This program came to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Hallmark Playhouse from December 23rd, 1948, with the story of Silent Night, hosted by James Hilton. Also in the cast, Gerald Moore and Parley Bear, sponsored by Hallmark Greeting Cards, as heard on CBS. Let's take a break, then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of December, you can digitally download Amos and Andy Volume 1. Twelve comedy episodes of Amos and Andy Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during December at 50% off is Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1. Twelve Christmas episodes including Fibber McGee and Molly, The Great Gildersleeve, The Bing Crosby Show, My Favorite Husband, Nero Wolf, Our Miss Brooks, Suspense and more. Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com today and digitally download the Amos and Andy Show Volume 1 and Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1 at half price. In January, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during December. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, Bean Crosby stars in a good Christmas show on the Craft Music Hall. And then it's part one of the Jack Benny program from 1949, a Christmas shopping show. You won't want to miss it. We'll see you all next time right here on Hollywood 360.